0: Audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either nine or ten thirty a.m. I would be willing to bet, if you've been around for for some time, that that somewhere, even if you're not a sentimental type, okay, that somewhere you probably have a letter or two tucked away, maybe in a box somewhere. Um, Maybe, maybe ladies in, in a hope chest or something along those lines. They even have those. I don't know they really have those things anymore. All right, um, I, I'd be willing to bet. Maybe, maybe a letter from, maybe a letter from your your spouse who wasn't your spouse at the time, and maybe a love letter, something along those lines. Um, maybe perhaps a letter from mom or dad. Um, I, I have a few of those tucked away in some places. Um, letters are something, and, and I hope that. There's just something special about somebody taking the time to put pen to paper for you. right? And I hope that today as we've, we've become very technological and we send messages in all sorts of ways, but with a pen and paper, that occasionally we remember the value of that. Okay. And on that note, um, a lot of you probably know this, a good chunk of our New Testament is letters. They were letters written from from servants of Christ, written to churches. And we got fancy Bible names for them. We call them epistles, you know. And they're letters. That's what they were. And the majority of them were written to, well, no, no there, there's, there's a couple. There's one in specifically that's written to an individual, but most of these were written to churches. And as I said, they make up a pretty good chunk of our New Testament. Speaking of letters... There was a letter that was that was that showed up on my desk um, quite a, a number of years ago that I have that I have looked to um, a number of times over the years and um, just thinking, praying, I thought that this Sunday was the time to bring this to to the attention of the church. All right, and it is a letter to Deering, right? Um, signed by uh, Paul the slave. Of Jesus Christ. So now I, I don't read letters very often in this, and I I'm, I mean, buckle your seat. But it's a pretty long letter, okay? So, so just just buckle your seatbelts, prepare yourself. I stumble over it just a little bit. I apologize for that. I don't really read things verbatim very often on a Sunday morning. So we'll see how this goes. But but here we go. Thank you for opening my letter. I have observed some very good things about you about dearing Christian church. You have an evangelistic heart. You're welcoming, friendly. There's a strong willingness to use your occupations as well as your pastimes for reaching out with the love of Jesus Christ. Our jobs, our hobbies, these are gifts from God. And our main purpose in using them is to bring glory to God. Many of you understand this. And I congratulate you for it. But I fear that some of you are in danger. Where and how are you walking? Do not fall in the trap of walking like the world. I'm reminded of of my letters to the church in Corinth. I believe in your Bibles you call those 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Not the only two letters I wrote to Corinth, but the ones that you still have. The issue with the church in Corinth is they should have been ready for some real food, spiritually speaking, but they were not. They were no longer new to the faith, but I still had to give them spiritual milk instead of spiritual meat. I fear that some of you are in the same boat. Your faith is not deep. I have many spiritual truths I'd like to teach you, but you're still not ready. I wonder how often you dig into the Word of God. How often you open it away from the body of Christ, your family, in your homes. I wonder how often you dig into the word of God. I wonder how many of you expect to change on a daily basis more into the image of Christ. You might remember what I wrote to the church in Corinth. I told them to imitate me, but I only told this because I am attempting to imitate Christ. Are you attempting to imitate Christ on a daily basis? Many of you probably wonder, are wondering if I'm talking to you personally. This will answer your question. Think back to the day you met Jesus. Think back to the day your faith in Jesus Christ became real. You put him in charge of your daily life. That's called repentance. You confessed him as your Lord... And your Savior, you were washed clean by his blood through the waters of baptism. Think back to the person you were that day. And here is the question. Are you still the same? Have you changed? Are you now more spiritually mature than you were that day? If not, you are the one I'm speaking to. You cannot handle more than spiritual baby food. Here's another question. Does your spiritual life merely consist of trying to avoid sin? That's important enough that I'm going to repeat it. Does your spiritual life merely consist of trying to avoid sin? If so, you are a spiritual infant. Real life in the Spirit is striving to live like Christ, love like Christ, sacrifice for others, like Christ it took a while for me to figure out the sin battle if you don't believe me take a look at Romans I too have struggled with sin I think what Paul is referring to here is the end of Romans chapter 7 where it gets to that one part where him writing saying the thing I want to do I cannot do and the thing I don't want to do I end up doing who will save me from this body of death thanks be to Jesus Christ our Lord So, I I think that's what he's referring to here. This is what he figured out. He says, I finally figured out that the more I focus on helping others, the less I struggle with sin. God's kingdom is not designed for babies. It cannot function that way. Do not misunderstand Jesus' teaching about childlike faith. When he brought that young toddler before his closest followers and he said, You need to become like this child if you want to be great in my kingdom. He was talking about humble trust. How a two-year-old is so dependent upon mom and dad because a two-year-old can't do much for themselves. But what he was not talking about was immaturity. God's kingdom is made up of men and women daily striving to be like Jesus. You might ask me, how, Paul? How do we live like Jesus? I'm going to tell you, by arming yourself. You do not have the ability to see what's going on around you spiritually. There is a world invisible to us, the spiritual world. I had the opportunity a couple of different times to see this world, and it is beyond explaining. Just because you cannot see it doesn't mean it does not exist. It is the reality behind our faith. But not all in this spiritual world are for our good. There are those who wish to harm, to pull us away from our Father, and we must be prepared for this. My fight with my own selfishness is hard enough. If we don't arm ourselves, we will not survive the onslaught of evil. Remember what I said to our brothers and sisters in Ephesus. And he's talking about Ephesians. That's what we find it in our Bible. Paul says, I say the same to you. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Now, he says, I, I've, I've modernized these terms just a little bit. The armor of, of 2,000 years ago isn't quite the armor, physically speaking, of today. So we'll, sh- sh- we'll switch this up just a little bit. First of all, put on the belt of truth. Speak the truth. Live according to the truth. Don't lie to yourself or to others. This world is full of deceit. Don't be a part of it in that way. Next, put on the bulletproof, the Kevlar vest, righteousness. God has made us righteous in his sight through Jesus' blood. That is very true. We cannot do this ourselves. God does it for us. I will repeat it. God has made us righteous in his sight through the blood of Jesus' Live like it. Live righteous. Hunger for righteousness like a half-starved animal. Do you desire righteousness that much on a daily basis? The boots of the gospel of preparedness. Be ready in season and out of season to share the gospel. The gospel, I define it very quite well in my letter to the church in Corinth. The gospel is this, Jesus died he arose and he lives and people witnessed him living that's the gospel be ready in season and out of season to share the gospel the whole truth of God yes God is love but God is also righteous and those who do not respond to God in faith through Christ Jesus are doomed that is the whole truth of the gospel, protect yourself with the shield of faith. You will face opposition. You will be persecuted. My faith in Christ to see me through beatings, imprisonments, shipwrecks, attacks from animals in arenas, attacks from thieves. Will your faith see you through the vomit this world will throw at you? The helmet of salvation. Nothing will keep your head safe. Like the knowledge your reward is bought and paid for already. And awaiting you in the end. I know that you hear a lot about safe spaces these days. The only real safe space is the security we find in our salvation in Jesus Christ. None in this world can take that away from us. Finally, arm yourself with the sword of God's Spirit and His Word. These are the two most indispensable gifts the Father can give for triumph in this world. How well do you listen to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis? And again, how often are you opening God's Word and allowing it to impact your life? you don't put on this armor every day, you will not survive. Equip yourself or die. The second most important thing I will tell you in this letter is look around you. Just take a moment, look around you. This is your family. This is the body of Christ. You need each other. I wrote to... The church in Galatia, and let me tell you, that was a tough letter to write. I wrote to the church in Galatia, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. What do you do when you see a brother or sister fall spiritually? Do you run? And if you run, what do you run to do? Do you run to tattle or do you run to help? I wrote also to the church in Galatia, Brothers and sisters, even if a man or woman is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Gossip has been the death of many believers. It is all too easy to talk about someone's screw-up rather than confronting that screw-up in love. The father detests gossip. He hates it with a passion. It takes courage and compassion both to restore a fallen brother or sister. We are never more like Christ than when we sacrifice to save another. A good friend of mine, you've probably read his writings. His name is James. Now there's a lot of James that were running around in my day. This James was an elder in the church in Jerusalem. This James was also on the earthly side, the brother of Jesus. I guess you would say the half-brother of Jesus. And he wrote something that is still in your Bibles today. And he had a lot to say about writing or about living your faith in Christ out on a daily basis. And he concluded his letter with these words. "Family." If any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you have heard my words today. I am bound by the Holy Spirit to give you the truth even when it hurts. Know that I, Paul, am rooting for you along with an audience you could never imagine. I thank God for your participation in the gospel. And I love you with all the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Signed, the Apostle Paul. All right, now I think quite obviously you know that Paul did not actually write that letter. But after reading a lot of letters, a lot of letters from Paul and studying them very closely, a lot of you have been doing that on Wednesday nights for some time now, right in this room. I have a feeling I know what he would say. Let me tell you something about a letter from Paul in New Testament times. It's a little scary to get a letter from the Apostle Paul as a church. (laughs) Because my goodness, he brought the fire. Matter of fact, some even would come to say, his his letters are weighty and they're difficult, but look at him, he's he's just a shrimp. I mean, no. Paraphrasing here just a little bit, but he's not impressive at all when you see. But boy, you get a letter from him. So, what I'm saying is, I'm not quite so sure how much fun it would be to get a letter in the mail as a church from the Apostle Paul. The thing about his letters, the vast majority of Paul's writing that's recorded in the New Testament can be summarized as a cry for revival. That's what Paul would often write about. Revival means something to some of us who got a little, little bit of gray up here. You know what I mean? I mean, some of you younger ones like, revival, what's this revival you speak of? But there are some of us in this room who've been a part of those before. I can just give you, if you're young enough to not know about a revival, this is kind of the way they work. You, like, you go to church, and 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 you go to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Now, if you're, if you're like at a revival revival, it's like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, and wrap that sucker up on Friday night. All right? Like, woo! We've been revived. Okay. The point of the revive of a revival is this: you come to the conclusion by the end of it that I can no longer remain where I am. I have to move forward, and that's why I say when you t- look to the letters of the Apostle Paul, they are letters of revival, even to the church in Philippi. Like Paul was stumbling all over himself, he loved, cared for, and was encouraged by these people. And he still told them, don't remain where you are, move forward in Christ. I realized today was, you know, a little different than the typical Sunday. Pretty blunt, pretty pretty aggressive, if you will. And I thought here just for a moment, we, we would... Lighten things up just a little bit. You know what this week was? Not just Labor Day weekend. College football started. College football. I know Jason knows college football started today. I'm going to do it again this service, Jason. I'm not going to have you model it, but he is, he is clothed in purple today. Clothed in purple. And it's not. it's not Royal Roman purple. No, it's K-State purple. All right? And I think between K State and OU, which make up the majority of the college fans in this congregation, K State and OU, um, I think a combined score against their opponents of like, like a hundred and like a hundred and twenty to nothing or something like that. Okay, so OU K State fans, congratulations. okay? Enjoy it while it lasts. All right. Okay. okay, you won too, by the way. Now the other team scored a little bit against them, but. Just a little bit. I can tell you something. It takes a special kind of stupidity or an entirely another level of commitment to be a KU football fan. It does. I, it, was, it was right at the end of the 1990s that I decided, I, I'd been cheering on KU basketball for about five, six years at that point, And I was like, how can I be a real fan Okay, if I, don't cheer for, if I don't cheer for their football team too, all right? And, and like I said, I, I should have started cheering for when Mason was there because like that was actually some pretty good years. But, but no, I, I, like right at the minute of 2000, into the Terry Allen era, I was just like, oh, all right. And then a guy by the name Mark Mangino showed up and a little bit of hope showed up with him for just a little while and then whew, crashed and burned. And that entered into the decade of demoralization, devastation, destruction. We sang a dirge. How many more D words can I come up here with? My goodness. Because K-State's got the decade of dominance. I know. All right. Paul's letters got real in a hurry. Read Galatians. touched on that just a second ago. Like he does, there's not even any greetings and salutations. He like just says right off the bat, I'm amazed at how quickly you're deserting your Lord. And they get real fast. Really, really fast. And in the midst of all of that, what I want us to not forget as we come to our time of communion, each and every one of you who are following Jesus, you have a fan. That fan is God. His loyalty is beyond compare. Spiritually speaking, he moved worlds. He bled for you. And when we come to our time of communion, primarily what we are doing is saying thank you.